Today's movie is from 1933, so it's going to be my goal to make the episode exactly 33 minutes. Okay. And I don't see. think it's going to be that hard because I don't I don't know if I have 45 minutes worth of stuff to say about no, this. No, me either. Well, right off the bat, our last episode we recorded with Gabe, and Gabe remarked that he didn't realize that we recorded the cups live for the YouTube version of the episode. So just hang on really quick. Hi. <laughs> And back to our regularly scheduled programming. That's right. <laughs> Welcome. So today we're here to talk about King Kong from, as I said, 1933. Hannah, what would you say is your favorite monster movie or the best monster movie? Hmm. The first thing that comes to mind, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the traditional ones, which I'm hoping we can do this spooky season. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind is The Thing, like John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. That's not really like the traditional monster, though. Yeah. He's more in the shadows. And sort of a second choice was Gremlins. Interesting. I yeah. also thought of Gremlins. Uh, yeah. But I'm surprised you didn't say Monsters, Inc. Oh. That's probably the best monster movie, don't you think? Yeah. I Well, that, that's the thing with that movie is, you the, know. With The Thing? Ha ha. Is the thing. Go ahead with the thing. You know, it's like corporatizing, you know, monster scaring children. Yes. Whereas when you think of a quote unquote monster movie, you think of, you know, a bunch of people being terrorized by some giant thing figure. I suppose you do. I mean, there's a difference between like a monster movie like The Thing and a giant monster movie like King Kong. I don't know yeah. if I have a favorite giant monster movie. Do you? No. I mean, like, I looked at stuff and Frankenstein popped up a lot, but I don't. not that giant. No. Well, you know, monster movie. Yeah, he, yeah. he is a monster. I mean, he's like seven feet tall or something. I don't know. But, like, I didn't enjoy the 1931 Frankenstein that much. <laughs> right. And that's kind of a good jumping off point here yeah. because- We've just moved from the end of the 1920s to the beginning of the 1930s into the sound era in our journey through film history. You might say, you know, jumping from 1928 to 1933 is a bit of a leap, but the main movies that I'm interested in that happened between that time are the Universal Monster movies like Frankenstein and Dracula. So Frankenstein we've seen. Mm -hmm. You can go back to one of our Halloween episodes to hear our thoughts on that. And then Dracula, I mean, obviously I want us to watch Dracula around Halloween time. I think that's appropriate. But this list is all about movies that neither of us have seen. And I've seen Dracula and you haven't. So it's not going to make the cut. Well, I think monster movies are iconic in their own way, but they don't really get celebrated in the same way as more traditional movies in like the cinema zeitgeist. But I think coming off of King Kong... I can understand why. (laughs) So let's jump into it. Okay, so King Kong, I'll tell you the logline. Here it is. Mm -hmm. Get yourselves ready for this one. Oh, I'm ready. A film crew goes to a tropical island for an exotic location shoot and discovers a colossal ape who takes a shine to their female blonde star. There's more to the logline, but like, do I really need to read it? We all pretty much know what it's about. I thought I knew what it was about. (laughs) You you didn't? No. Well... Jumping forward a little bit, 
Um, the moments that the dinosaurs were on screen, I was like, hmm, why have I never heard of this aspect? <laughs> yeah, well, well, first of all, the dinosaurs end up being a little inconsequential. Well, yeah, I think that's why. Experience. Other than like the director is like, oh, I wish I could bring one of these back alive. I'm like, well, make sure to shoot it five more times yeah. and ensure that it's dead before complaining that you couldn't bring it back alive. Yeah, like, what that, are you thinking? That was really wild. And it's like, it's the 1930s and it would be like a scientific marvel to have one of those alive. Instead, he's like, nah. <laughs> anyway, so I guess the reason I talked about being excited for this movie beforehand, yeah. and it goes back to a conversation that we had, I think, in an earlier episode talking about looking at the things that the people you like, like. Yes. So I was really influenced in my taste of film uh, by James Rolfe because I used to watch like his internet content daily when he used to put out a lot more stuff. He put out more movie reviews back then. It really informed the kind of movies that I watched like Rocky, Rambo, Die Hard, all those kinds of things. A and of and it got me interested in the original Universal Monster movies. But one movie that was at like the top of his list, I think in his top three is King Kong. And I never got around to watching it. So I was always really excited because I was like, this is one of the favorite movies of one of my favorite content creators. I'm probably going to really like it. Mm -hmm. And going into it, I had seen the Peter Jackson one ages ago when it first came out. And I think the Peter Jackson one was better. I mean, this movie. <laughs> it's all perspective. This movie didn't hold up very well. I, no. Just watching it, it's it's like it was dying to be remade. Like, I don't disagree. But, you know, if we're thinking of, like, what came just before it, Frankenstein, mm -hmm. it's miles ahead of Frankenstein. Sure. Like, compared to the last movie that we watched on the podcast, The Passion of the Joan of the Ark, <laughs> King Kong wasn't boring. No. I, I was, I was in. Well, I don't know if I can use the word invested. I was interested. I, I preferred the cinematography in Joan of Arc. I it was, thought it was better. Joan of Arc was more in, more meaningful, Yeah, but I just found it boring. This wasn't really meaningful at all, mm -mm. Um, but it was at least interesting. My take on it was that it's kind of like the Mona Lisa of movies <laughs> where like you hear a lot about it. You hear it talked about constantly. It's very, very famous. But then when you finally see it, you're like, is that it then? As Philomena Kunk says, is this legitimately good or am I just told that it's good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so at the time, I guess it was a thrill a minute. Oh, I'm sure. I, I don't know. Like, just watching through it, I'm a fan of stop motion. You know, oh, I, yeah. I would say that part of what got me started in in making short films with stop motion, doing it in ComTech class. So I appreciate the art and I like oh, the yeah. look of it. And Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of my favorite Wes Anderson films because mm -hmm. I think his his style paired with stop motion is is just so beautiful. It's probably one of the best stop motion animated films of all time. Totally. So I really respect the craft. In King Kong, I was able to get behind it some of the time. Some of the effects held up and still looked really good. Yeah, I agree. In stop motion. Other times, I wasn't quite buying into it. It was a little hokey in and, parts. And then anytime it cut to his big old smile. Yeah. Like, it went from <laughs> a classic of cinema to total cheese fest. You're like, the wide shots of him, like, grinning. grinning I was just like, yeah. I couldn't help but laugh. Was, I couldn't take him seriously. Yeah. So, like... 
I guess at the time it was revolutionary. I know they used a lot of like rear projection techniques to combine both the stop motion shots and the live action shots of the actors. That I thought was really good. Effective of the time period. I mean, you could obviously tell it was an effect, but it wasn't like terrible looking. Yeah, but that it's I guess it's a little bit of style over substance for me. Like, yeah, none of the characters are fleshed out, but of course it's not a character piece. It's not really a romance. Well, it's in just, parts it was. It's just a giant monster movie. But if it was going to be more of a giant monster movie, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to go for suspense, but what was the suspense? Like, King Kong doesn't even show up until, like, maybe halfway through or, like, one third the way through. It's a long time. It, and it's it's a buildup. And, like, we don't even hear about, like, the word Kong until they get to the island. Pretty much. Yeah. What I remember about the Peter Jackson one was that there was a lot more uh, information and a lot more a lot more quality given to the female lead. I think she was like a vaudeville performer. Mm, Um, And the the movie seemed to give some more focus to the human characters, which I liked. But overall, the plot was obviously the same and the effects were miles better. But I guess just. It didn't do much for me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think this is the kind of thing that if you're nostalgic for it or and it hits you in the right way, then this could be for you. And if it doesn't, then <laughs> yeah. one thing I'll say is I thought the effects in King Kong fighting like the dinos and stuff looked good. Mm-hmm. But those sequences went on way longer than they needed to like we've all seen the end where kong is on the empire state building and he's swatting away the planes that mm-hmm. happens for like a like a few minutes and it's the like, end was definitely the best part that could have been cut down to, to be shorter because yeah. it just kind of went on and there was no dialogue so it was easy for me to slightly nod off even though it was 6 30 at night <laughs> barely but I think it says a lot that like I'm saying the ending was the best part and you're saying it went on too long. I don't long. think I don't think either of us are disagreeing with each other, which is to say the best part of the movie still goes on too long. Well, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Kong is faced with like a dino that kind of has a crocodile mouth and yeah. he's like literally wrestling this guy and like flipping him over and it looks ridiculous. And then he ends up killing him by like opening the jaws of this crocodile monster and like snapping his throat and he like opens the mouth and is like oh is he dead okay he's dead (laughs) it's just like really over the top there were a lot of ridiculous parts to this movie that that taught me that i probably shouldn't be taking it so seriously like when there's when they're escaping from kong and they they get on that rope to try and start climbing down the mountain. And he gets on the rope to start climbing down. And then she, instead of getting on the rope, just like grabs onto his neck and just starts like hanging from his neck. I'm like, that's wild. Don't yeah. do that to the man. Like he came to save you. You're capable. You can grab the rope. Like yeah. you're you're gonna weigh both of you down and just strangle him by doing that. Yeah. She was really playing into the damsel in distress. And he was letting her because he's like, yeah, women can't do anything. (laughs) Oh, that the Jack (laughs) character, his all his lines were terrible. Like he was a doofus. She's like, I'm not bothering you by, you know, on the ship. And he's like, you're bothering just by being here. And I was like, 
Okay. And then six <laughs> weeks later, he's like, you know, I, I, uh, I think I love you. He, he felt some inner Jimmy Stewart coming out. That's Yeah, I was kind of, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. None of the characters I felt like I could really identify with didn't really give no. me a reason to root for them. And the just overall, the acting was not very good. Uh, yeah. Like, I, mean, I guess, I don't know if most of these actors came from radio because it was so early in, it, in the talkies it's era. Possible. Or, you know, they're from silent film era where it was more over the top. <laughs> as, as possible, yeah. <laughs> because this is pretty early into the talkies. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's time for a little bit of Andy's trivia corner here. Yeah. And this is this is the kind of movie that's been around for so long that I could probably spend an hour reading from the trivia. So uh, I think if there was a behind-the-scenes movie about how this movie was made, it would probably be a better movie than the actual movie itself. It's possible. Just learning all the effects and stuff. But for the sake of it, let's jump into it. So this film was successfully reissued worldwide numerous times. Some claim it was the first ever re-released film. In the 1938 reissue, several scenes of excessive violence and sex were cut to comply with, with the production code enforced in 1934. I remember no sex in this movie. No. Well, okay. There's a scene where Kong rips off her dress and then she's wearing like a kind of cut up shorter dress that's off the shoulder. That, that ain't sex. looks kind of sexy. I don't know. Sex appeal, maybe. But. Well, okay. They were a lot more strict about these things in the 30s. Right. So- uh, though many of the censored scenes were restored by Janus Films in 1971, one deleted scene has never been found, shown publicly only once during a preview screening in San Bernardino, California, in 1933. It was a graphic scene following Kong shaking four sailors off the log bridge, causing them to fall into a ravine where they were eaten alive by giant spiders. At the preview screening, audience members screamed and either left the theater or talked about the grisly sequence throughout the subsequent scenes, disrupting the film. Marion C. Cooper said, it stopped the picture cold, so the next day, back at the studio, I took it out myself. That's too reminds, bad. Kind of reminds me of the Goonies where they're like, oh, the part with the giant squid was crazy, and it just it's got like, cut. Yeah, but they left them talking about it in. <laughs> and it, it, it's really, I feel like the island and the inhabitants of the island itself kind of make this picture flawed from the beginning. Because the idea that you would want to take this giant gorilla back to society and make money off of it while there's literal dinosaurs walking around the island is like, what are you thinking, you fool? Well, it's also like, okay, there's dinos, sure. It's dinos on deck, baby. It's Jurassic Park, I guess. Yeah. Before Jurassic Park. And I could see And the there's influence. a giant gorilla. What? How, the A plus B don't equal C. I don't know. <laughs> when does A plus B ever equal C? What you know kind of what math I mean? class did you like, take? The descendants of dinosaurs are usually like birds. You know, birds or reptiles. Sure. Monkeys ain't that. <laughs> I don't get it. How right you are. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get ourselves back on track yeah. with some. Uh, some trivia so you were wondering if it was an original story for film or if it was like a novel right? yeah i had said that before i was like did they create this because you know if so it's like it's pretty original it stood the test of time so i'm curious yeah so this piece of trivia 
leads credence to that, which is Marion C. Cooper's first vision for the film was of a giant ape on top of the world's tallest building fighting airplanes. He worked backwards from there to develop the rest of the story, which I feel like explains why it's a little half-baked. Yeah, it's like, like, I just want to see a giant giant ape. Yeah, we go to the island and... Uh, we're we're gonna capture it and we're gonna bring it on Broadway and it's gonna be fine. Like the chains are totally gonna stay good, and then the chains know, are totally gonna, gonna stay, stay good. good. <laughs> he's there's no way he's gonna escape and terrorize New York City. No way. It's like come on, like yeah. think about what you're doing here. I don't know. Have you seen Jurassic Park too? No. It's the same sort of deal where they take a dinosaur back to the city and then they rampage. So you can really see how this film influenced later movies, especially Jurassic Park. But I'm I'm actually I'm interested in the 70s remake because it was remade in the 70s with Jeff Bridges as well as in 2005 by Peter Jackson. That's interesting. I remember like I was really young when I saw the Peter Jackson when it came out when I was probably nine. It was like 2005. Ten. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually left an impact on me. Like I, I remember a lot of the scenes really well. So I I can understand why Peter Jackson would want to remake it with modern technology. Yeah, sure. And I think it was warranted. I Yeah. For stuff like this, where it's really more of an idea, then it makes more sense to give it a revamp, like a monster. It's like, that's a little less tangible in the real world. But when they're like, oh, we got to remake Willy Wonka. It's like, but why you got to yeah, do why? that? It's like, we already have that. Like, I don't know. What's your beef with the Willy Wonka remake? Like, that, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That was Factory? just an example. But no, I, but I know you have a beef because you love the original Willy just Wonka. Just because the original has such a charming, colorful feel. And Gene Wilder is, like, excited about what he's doing, but also, like, knows that the people that are touring the factory kind of suck. So he's really, like, passive aggressive and sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And I find that, That's like, great. really charming. And, you know, there's cute songs and stuff. And it's funny. Like, there's some good jokes about, you know, people trying to find the golden ticket and, like, a guy programs a computer to be like, you know, tell me where's the golden ticket and like the computers like sassing him and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff there. Whereas <sighs> the Tim Burton one is just like, let's make Willy Wonka dark and weird. And, you know, we'll just have him be like, I kinda, mean, that's Tim Burton's kinda, MO. I know, but like, it just doesn't work. Like, I like some of Tim Burton's movies, like Big Fish, Edward Scissorhands. I oh, love Big Fish. Yeah. And that's Big Fish is a real departure from his usual style. Yeah. It's a little more feel good. Mm-hmm. But uh, feel good and sort of feel bad a little bit, but mostly feel good. But like, OK, it's we'll, it's one of those I'm ready to be heard again. Kind well, of movies. yeah. And you just you and McGregor are so charming. <laughs> um, but, you know, just Willy Wonka in that movie is just pretty stupid. And, you know, his dad was a dentist. and He's like, I just want to be with chocolate. And he's just like odd for odd sake and is like i think it's more interesting for willy wonka to be just kind of this interesting person in the shadows mm-hmm. in, in, instead of like i don't know whatever that was so on this topic tying willy wonka with king kong yeah. what what do you think <laughs> is the line that you draw where a movie should or shouldn't be remade um well i watched an episode of psych 
where they talked about remakes and they remade an episode from like their first season or something. Oh, that's in, funny. In like season eight or nine or whatever. Well, they, from what you've told me about that show, it seems like it has a lot of really good ideas. Oh, yeah. They do a lot of very interesting episodes. They have like a whole like Hitchcock um, Zodiac send up arc where they're really? like trying to catch like a serial killer. Mm-hmm. that's influenced by cinema and stuff there's a lot of really interesting episodes of that show right anyway <laughs> you know they talk about how like you should remake something when you feel like it had a good idea but it just didn't reach its full potential so you're trying to mm. like up the ante which is why i think that they should remake an american werewolf in london oh yeah because that would be kind of sucked great idea I just didn't feel like it fully lived up to what it could have been. Definitely not so my favorite monster. That movie. that I'm interested in a remake of. But a movie that's beloved by fans already. It's like, but it's already beloved by fans. Why are you trying to like change something that everyone already likes? Yeah, I suppose. My my perspective on it isn't necessarily that you should only remake it if the original didn't live up to its full potential. My perspective is you can remake it if you have something to offer that the original wasn't already doing. So like when they remade Psycho and it was literally a shot for shot remake. And Except I think for one added gratuitous scene. What? They just like added like an extra shower scene. Oh, well, I haven't seen it for obvious reasons. I haven't seen it either. But I mean, the only thing that they would be adding in that in that sense really is color but does that movie really need color? No. Like, the, you know, there is a bloody scene in the movie, but is seeing the red of the blood really going to help it? Like, not really. No. But I'm of the mind that, you know, I don't really want Back to the Future to be remade. I think Back to the Future is as close to a perfect movie, perfect script as you can get. It shouldn't be remade. It could be reimagined. Right. That's, that's what I was going to say yeah. is like, if you are going to remake it, don't remake it with Marty and Doc going from the 80s back to the 50s. Remake it, reimagine it with a completely different character from the 2020s going yeah. back in time to the, the 80s. 80s. That's so hype now because we're all about 80s nostalgia lately with like Stranger Things and stuff. I think it would be primed to do that. Yeah, so I think it was well warranted to remake King Kong because the characters weren't really offering much. They weren't no. really fleshed out. The story was a little bit, a little bit half baked. Like just the the part where he kind of pivots from like, oh, I want to make a movie, which you can understand that motivation. Pivoting from that to, oh, I want to take this creature back to society. I'm like, mm, okay, you're kind of losing me a bit here. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, like color, sure, better special effects, of course, even the music, like especially at the very beginning, I could have used a bit more music when it was there. It was nice, but that's actually it's interesting coming from watching a bunch of silent films where all you had was music to this. It was interesting that the silent films felt much more new because a lot of what we were watching was uh, like redone scores that were done recently with mm-hmm. with modern recording technology so they sounded really good they sounded really fresh and i felt like i was in the theater at the time that they were made when they were brand new whereas with king kong the audio quality was so much worse that yeah. it 
felt older, even though it was newer. Well, especially, I think we maybe touched upon this in our last episode, is when they first made the talkies, they hadn't really figured it all out with the audio situation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So probably mic placement and figuring out like levels and music and balance between that. This is a little bit of a struggle. I feel like it took them several decades to really nail down like perfect audio in in movies. Yeah. I don't know. Where I'm getting this from is like when I was a kid and I watched Star Wars, I would always be struck by how, you know, in the wide shot, the audio of them would be like sounding like kind of crappy and, you know, it sounded like a little bit distant. And then they would cut to the close up and their audio would be a lot more clear. And so... I was thinking either like, wow, they ADR'd all the close-ups, that's really weird, or their method for capturing audio in the wides was different than in the close shots. And and that's just like, it took me out of the movie experience because I was like, clearly there's there's a difference here. And thankfully, that's not something that we experience that much in in modern movies, I feel like. There's more use of like hidden lavaliers and hidden microphones in places now, whereas back then it was probably like crazy to me a boom pole. And the reason why we couldn't hear it as well is because the mic was literally at a distance. Yeah. (laughs) All that to say, yeah, I think it took them a while to to completely nail audio. But yeah. What okay, so one one thing I'll say about King Kong and the audio is I remember one of our big gripes with Frankenstein and the effect of mood is that Frankenstein had almost no music. Yeah. And King Kong, I think, utilized the music pretty effectively. There was one spot in particular where there was like an actor and they were like kind of like going uh like walking around in the jungle and it was like doom doom doink. And then they like stopped and the music stopped and then they started walking again. It was like doink doink doink. So I just I appreciate that there was intentional music setting and intentional mood for this film. Whereas Frankenstein, it was more like opening credits, the end of the movie. They're just it just wasn't as strongly focused to draw up the drama. I also appreciate that. But I think in the exact same scene. I remarked that it felt kind of felt like I was watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> with like the ding, ding, ding. Well, in general, too, because King Kong, like sometimes he looked kind of scary. Most of the time he was kind of just looking around like confused and he would put people in his mouth and then just spit them out, like just kind of like nom, 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 and then put them down because I think of censorship, violence things. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Rating. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Six out of ten, maybe. I which is I, to say three out of five. It it wasn't my fave. It was fine. Right. Uh yeah. Maybe like I don't know. Three yeah, three out of five, possibly. Same rating. So coming back to the original question, like favorite giant monster movie. I'm not I'm actually really not opposed to giant monster movies. Like me and you watched through Cinemassacre, once again, coming back to James Rolfe, Cinemassacre's entire Godzilla-thon series where he reviewed all the Godzilla movies. And I'm like, yeah, Godzilla, this is awesome. You know, like I'm interested in seeing more Godzilla movies. The only one that I've seen was the uh, original, the American version of the original. Mm-hmm. But again, that was a long time ago. So, I mean, I felt like Cloverfield was okay. I haven't seen that. The 2005 King Kong was was pretty good. It's like, I'm not... 
I'm not opposed to it. But this, like the beginning of of the art form, I guess, or like close to the beginning of of these giant monster movies, they hadn't quite gotten there yet. I mean, if you think of like zombies as monster movies, then I think Romero had it sort of figured out by then. Yeah. But I just don't think there's as many big monster, like one thing terrorizing the city anymore. Hmm. And I, as a viewer, I don't see myself inherently drawn to those kinds of movies because usually I'm more into like grounded movies with good dialogue. Mm. Well, if you want to see a grounded movie with good dialogue, it's also about giant monsters. Eight-Legged Freak starring David Arquette. Masterpiece right there. Oh, yeah. Big eight-legged head freak. What is it? Pardon? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. What, okay, so what movie do you think is like your number one pick that needs to be remade other than Eight-Legged Freaks? Well, I said an American werewolf in Paris, I think. London. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll be in Paris this time. <laughs> That'd be more entertaining, probably. Yeah. You have the werewolf on the top of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's, I mean, some movies you're like, this is just bad. You know, I don't want to see it remade there's very few movies where you're like that was okay but like it could be better mm-hmm. do you have one in mind oh spider-man well that's gonna be remade to death forever exactly i love it i yeah. will rewatch as many spider-man remakes and reimaginings as there can be sure i'm into it i mean do i i want to see more x-men movies which we've talked about before i mm-hmm. want to see Really, really good X Men movies. Yeah, they gotta. We haven't seen. They gotta start over again. Yeah, they gotta start over. They keep like I don't know. They keep botching it. Yeah, Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. I mean, Jean Grey. I'm not a big Jean Grey head. Anyway, yeah. I mean, who like who would be the perfect casting choice for Jean Grey? Realistically, (sighs) I mean, it's hard to say. She's just boring. (laughs) She's not. I mean, but if you cast the right actress. I didn't I didn't mind good. Jean Grey's actress in the first three movies. She was fine. I don't know. I mean, again, not the best character. I mean, we always need more Quicksilver and everything. Oh, sure. And that's for sure. But in terms of that, I mean, I would always love to see more Sherlock Holmes stuff. Interesting. I don't know. Surprise me, Hollywood. <laughs> Well, I don't think I have much else to say about this one, unfortunately. (laughs) No, I'm excited for the future ones, though, because I feel like we will have more to talk about more of them as they go down the line, because they'll be closer in line with the modern cinema that we know today. Yeah, I think most of our films on this list are in the 40s, 50s and 60s. Um, The 80s is completely unrepresented on our list, but that's only because we've already seen so many movies from the 80s. Yeah, most of the heavy hitters anyways. And I debated starting even earlier because we started in 1927 with Metropolis. I debated starting in like maybe the 1910s or the early 20s, but I just thought that it might be too boring how wrong I was starting with Metropolis. But, you know, at the very least, um, we're going to clear we're actually going to clear the 30s pretty quickly because the next movie on the list is the final movie in the thirties, which is 1939's gone with the wind. Right. And I, I actually, I was looking at the list today and I was like, you know what? 
maybe I should add more movies from the 30s just to round it out. And so I was looking at the top movies from the 30s on Letterboxd, and it was like Frankenstein, which we've seen, Dracula, which, you know, a lot of the early universal monster movies, which I would love to do a dedicated episode for this Halloween. I'm sure we will, yeah. But other than that, there was like, you know, Wizard of Oz, which I feel like we've kind of seen. I've seen it. You, I don't think I've seen, which is worth seeing, I think. I've seen probably like the middle two quarters, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't think I've seen the beginning I don't know if I've seen the end, but like I've seen the bulk of it. So this list is all about movies that we that completely passed us by. And I don't know, I guess just the 30s. It doesn't have as much that I'm interested in, but I'm excited to move into the 40s. It's just uh, a lot less close to modern cinema. It was still just figuring modern cinema out with all the dialogue and stuff. I just I think in the 40s, you start to see movies that are a lot more timeless. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. So coming up, Gone with the Wind. I actually don't have any expectations because I really don't know what it's about. Mm. I've heard it involves slavery. Yes. So we'll see what goes on with that. (laughs) Imagine Django Unchained, but it's from the white people's perspectives and they're the protagonists. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, super excited for that. (laughs) All right, catch you all next time, everybody. Thanks so much for listening.